0: Hello. Hello. I am Zach, your host of the Oxoro podcast, where we sit down with music artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people to dive into the story beyond the surface. This week's episode is brought to you by The Aux. The Aux is a weekly newsletter bringing you the five coolest things that we come across each week. This can be anything from books to other podcasts to life hacks to workout tips. Just last week, we explored Joe Rogan's conversation with mathematician Brett Weinstein, Skincare, Jaden Smith's new album, and Sam Harris's breakdown of the Andy No attack in Portland. If you are ready to take your cool to the next level, at least our version of cool, you can subscribe to The Ox with a link in the description of this podcast or visit auxoro.com slash The That's A-U-X. We are a completely independent podcast and we appreciate the support from everyone who tunes in each week. If you could leave us a rating, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening, it really does help us out. Even tag us on social media and we will get back to you. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about us. And even better, you can tell your friends about us too. As an independent creator, it really does help get the word out and we're grateful For each one of you who show us support. On this episode, we sit down with tattoo artist and painter Jason Ackerman of Soho Inc. in NYC. In Jason's own words, he likes to make people uncomfortable. And I like exploring topics that make people uncomfortable. So let's see if I can succeed in making Jason uncomfortable, if only for a moment. On this episode, we talk about drug abuse, the weirdest tattoos Jason's ever given painting controversial figures like Bill Cosby and Donald Trump, reuniting with his son, and more. So without further ado, here's our wide-ranging conversation with Jason Ackerman. Sometimes I guess stick it up their butt during the interview.
1: (laughs) They're trying to demonstrate. Right on. Things like that don't bother me.
0: Yeah. I have a few porn stars on my list that I want to interview. I can hook you up with one. A... Yes, it's my ex-wife. <laughs> really? Yeah. I would love to. I think we, we listened to an we listened to another podcast where this guy basically breaks down jobs for a living just these 15-20 minute segments and he asks these really direct questions just to get right into it because of the time constraints and yeah. one of them was a porn star and I thought it was extremely interesting because there's all these things that you wouldn't think of. It was a it was a girl porn star. And so she was talking about the differences between set, sex on set and sex when she gets home and all the, the stopping and going and the, the production crew, like how weird it is to have 40 people in a room just watching you get filled yeah. for, <laughs> for an hour and a half. <laughs> I was like, that would make a pretty cool hour and a half conversation.
1: The only time sex was good with her was when she did something stupid. And then like to make up for it, then sex was amazing. Other than that, it was very boring. Not what you think.
0: This porn star I'm blanking out on her name, but she said that she liked to be very lazy in home sex. Yes. Because she had to just be so active and put on a show, of course, (laughs) in the studio. So she just liked to lie there and take it. Understandable. All right, that's all I had for the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what else? What do you do? <laughs> are, we, uh, are we recording? No, seriously. Is this over? Yeah, this is <laughs> you, I'm going to close my laptop and go. Karen, do you have anything? That was the best interview I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke a little bit about this over email. And I saw this quote on your art website too. And you say, I get off on making people uncomfortable. Yeah. What's a standout or recent time where you were either talking to someone or or showing them something and you noticeably felt that uncomfortable energy come into the conversation? (laughs) Is there anything that sticks out (laughs) recently? Yeah, every
1: day. With what I do for a living, I get to do that. So... I don't know how vulgar I'm allowed to get.
0: Oh, we're explicit on iTunes. We actually just got taken down off iTunes because I cursed in the title. But as long as you don't curse in the titles, it's fine. So you can curse. Wait, in the really? audio. You didn't tell me that. It was it was yesterday. I got a notice for <laughs> iTunes because I, I I put fuck I put fuck in the title of one of the episodes, and then they sent me a notice saying you have explicit content in the title. Of your podcast, so I knew exactly what that meant. I went back and changed it. So it takes forty eight hours all right. to go back up. So people will hear this. Don't worry. Oh, I'm good eventually, with that. <laughs> at least three, <laughs> all, all three of our subscribers
1: <laughs> will tune in. Uh, well, I have a kid that works in the back, and I was messing with him, telling him that he had fidelago of the penis, and just like stuff like that. It's funny. Fidilago? Yeah. Well, whatever it is, Fidilago. I thing Michael Jackson claims to have had. This guy, I told him.
0: What's, uh, what's fitilago of the penis?
1: <laughs>
0: what does it mean? See that oh, reaction? Really? What does it mean? That's yeah, what that's I love. Like, <laughs> that's
1: uncomfortable. D- what, D- what describe to them how your penis is actually white. Yeah, you can say it on the Go mic. Go ahead. Get on, mic, yeah. get on the mic. Get on the mic. Get on the mic and tell them how your penis is white.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so Fidilago of the penis yeah. means that you have a white penis if you're
1: born with dark skin. Correct. I did not know that. Yeah, he's like got white patchy parts on it. I'm gonna. <laughs>
0: How do you know
1: that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but making people uncomfortable, it's like I was doing it with art. I was doing very politically mm-hmm. driven art. And it's like, like I, I did a painting of Walt Disney. So he did great things, but he was totally anti Semitic. He was a profiteer for the. Um, for the Nazis, he like, he was uh, mm-hmm. one of the founding members of the, the National Socialism Party in America. So he was getting money from the Nazis? Well, he was creating the Socialism Party here, um, or the Nazi Party here. He thought that women were not smart enough to be anything except secretaries. The title of the painting is called Songs of the South, which is like, you can research it and find documentation that it actually existed, but you can't even find a clip of it. It was that racist that they pulled it and then destroyed it. It's that's
0: crazy that Disney film, right? Yeah, yeah. So, S- Songs of the South is a documentary about how Walt Disney was super racist, and you can't.
1: Find no, that's it. a cartoon that's that he cartoon wrote. That he wrote. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but it's like like with that piece of art, like people look at it, they see Disney, they see Mickey, and then I love watching their faces as they realize what they're actually looking yeah. at.
0: Well, I've I've seen a bunch of your art on your Instagram page and your website, and it it seems like you love taking these public figures that. The general public adores, and then intertwining this deeper knowledge of their dark past, yes. like the one with Pope Benedict <laughs> with, the, with the kids underneath his robe, yep. or the one with Mother Teresa in a bikini. Oh, she was a whore! And for we'll, the link church. All, we'll, we'll link all these two to the podcast. You can have the the visual aesthetic along with the audio. But I, I like how you take these underlying secrets that not many people know, and you put them in such a, a straightforward way into your art because yeah. it's not, it's one thing to describe it to someone, but it's another thing to just have it on
1: display and just say, take this in. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I like that uncomfortability factor. Yeah. It's, it's like when I have it, like even here, when I hang them here and I see people looking at them, I don't say a word. I just watch. Because you you see the realization of what they're looking at. And some people want to argue with me over it. but And that's why I do all my research on anybody I'm going to fuck with like that. Mm-hmm. I want to know everything that I'm doing. And I'm, I don't want to make anything up. So that way I can argue with them or debate with them and have my facts. And nine out of ten times, they just back down or go do their research on their own. And they're like, holy shit. Like yeah. Mother Teresa is fucking horrible. She yeah. wasn't a good person. Was, she was horrible. I was
0: doing some light research into Mother Teresa because of the painting and and... I was reading about some of the the horrific conditions in the the camps yeah. that she had yeah. and all these different accusations about the the darker side of her character and, and how people viewed her as basically this saint. And there were thousands of people that she basically failed in
1: their care and the, the of their life. Yeah, she yeah. was horrible. And she's the only person in history to become a saint 11 years after her death, as opposed to the 100 years it normally takes.
0: I didn't know that I, yep. I, there's a 100-year waiting period to yep. be insane. I guess the, the expedited process during that, they didn't do their research. No. <laughs> they <it> to you.) <laughs> <laughs> so before you even got into art, how did you start tattooing people? What was your first
1: experience with tattoos? I, uh, so I, I ended up in Florida for rehab. And I was literally at the right place at the right time. And a gentleman walked by with his wife and said so they were opening a shop. And I went and hung out there and uh, like instantly him and I became best friends, like right off the bat. And then after a while, I was, I was watching people come in and out, asking him for an apprenticeship. And he kept saying no. And then finally, one day I was like, fuck, I'm here all the time. I might as well do it. So I asked him and he was like, I've been waiting for you to ask. And my life just changed instantly.
0: He must have seen something in you right away if he was rejecting all these other people yeah, and, then, was, and then gave you a shot. That's pretty cool. Is this David, the bastard archer yeah. that gave you the shot? <laughs> See, we, we try to do our, our research, nice. the, the darker aspects of the past. I'm just yeah. going to surprise you, pull out some, some demons. Very cool. I'm good with that. But yeah, so how did this this guy, David, how did he kind of take you in as a, a mentor and have an influence on your life a, at that point,
1: well, he was uh, he was also sober, so it was getting to see somebody that had the same ideals as I did, looking the way that I looked, and and being very successful at what he was doing, and and seeing that I could also do that if he could do it, I could do it. So it was just just that aspect alone drew me to him.
0: What was your rock bottom point that made you want to get sober? <laughs> that place because you have Which to make time? a decision. <laughs> If there are multiple times, there are. if there's, if there's one that stands out above the rest where, you know, something inside you had to have made that decision to make it the last time, whatever it was, emotions, a situation going on in your life. What, what was that an last rock bottom point?
1: So the last one would be literally my last one. I, uh, I had almost 15 years sober. Uh, Dave had committed suicide. My wife at the time slept with my best friend. He almost um, got shot in the face. i I'm sold shop. to hear that. That, that is around. an unfortunate series of events. <laughs> I sold my shops in Florida and then just became a recluse in my house. I didn't leave for like six months. And then uh, I was walking around one day and ended up in a place I shouldn't have and ended up with a needle in my arm again. So to make a long story short, I ended up coming to a convention here in New York and the people that own the shop sponsor me uh, with ink and stuff. So I'm on their pro team. And I brought my drug dealer and everybody was like, they could see completely that I was a different person. And they were just like, you got to get back Just physically care. by looking at you, they, they saw you were in bad shape. hundred percent. Yeah. Like I was 160 pounds. I was gray. I could barely walk. It was just, it was a, it was a fun period.
0: What were you, what type of drugs were you into? If you feel comfortable. Coke and heroin. Two very addictive drugs. Fair. How did you
1: start doing Coke and heroin? I'm a grown man. You stick a needle in your arm. It's horrible. I, st- I well. Well, how did I start? I don't know. Like you, you know, remember those TV commercials that that used to be like? It looked like a kid running track, and it was like nobody ever wants to grow up to be a junkie. And then they pan out, and it's a kid running from the cops. Basically, yeah. I used to say to myself, "Fuck, I do." All my idols were junkies. You know what I mean? Every single one of them. I wanted to die at 27.
0: We were talking about before the interview how I started doing the podcast with music artists. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a different wave of overall physical health and mental health going through the music industry and some other aspects of entertainment. But from when I was younger, I'm, I'm 25 years old. In the, the late 90s, early 2000s, there was certainly that glorified aspect sure. of going out, doing drugs, partying every night, basically like the tortured the tortured artist mm-hmm. perspective where you have to make yourself suffer yeah. in order to create good art. And I feel like that's dropped off a little bit, but I'm sure that mentality rubbed off on you having yeah. seen a bunch of your idols, like you
1: were saying, doing, doing stuff like that. Yeah. But then, so the last, like they and everybody was like, you know, you got to get back up here and get clean. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I went home and I literally bought all the drugs I had, like could with the money that I had. And I was set on killing myself, literally and the night I decided to do it I don't even remember how much I did but I woke up a few hours later covered in vomit and literally choking on my own vomit and that scared the shit out of me because then I realized at that moment I don't really want to die so the next day I was on a plane here
0: I've never talked to any of my friends one of my friends Lawrence actually just committed suicide but I I didn't talk to him about it beforehand but I've I've heard other people say that have survived suicide attempts that once they do it, once they if they jump off a bridge or something, or if they take a lethal dose of immediately after they do it, they instantly regret it. Yeah. And they're just like, fuck, why did I
1: do that? I didn't regret it when it went in. I regretted it when I woke up and I was choking. That's when it terrified me because I, at that moment I knew I really didn't want to die.
0: What were your other relationships in your life at the time? Did you have anyone that was trying to get you out of that lifestyle before you met David? Or was everyone basically encouraging
1: you? At that point, I, I was the people in the tattoo community that I'm friends with were very supportive. And they were trying to get me straight. Outside of the tattoo world, I had, I had alienated everybody. There was nobody left.
0: So going into the tattoo world sober... <laughs> <laughs> How, what were the biggest changes in your life besides the actual act of, of, or the lack of the act of not doing drugs anymore? What, what did you have to change about yourself in order to not go back? What were the, you know, the different crowds you were hanging out with, uh, the ways that you were adjusting your
1: life to make sure that you didn't fall back into that? Being sober in the tattoo world is really hard. There are very few of us. I have, friends but more associates. So like I don't do conventions very much anymore because it's just not good for me. That's where where the the bullshit all goes on. So mm. like and when I do conventions, I work and then I go to my room or I go with somebody that that I know and trust and go out to dinner. I don't go to the parties or do anything like that anymore.
0: I imagine it's hard to be around if you're not partaking in any of the the drug related
1: activities. It, it's even hard drugs, for me. definitely like going it, like drinking. I don't know, people can drink in front of me all day, that doesn't bother me. But if I'm watching somebody run lines, it's gonna be a hard day.
0: It's even hard sometimes to just stand around at a bar with nothing in your hands. Like, if, if there are nights where I want to go out yeah. sober, which isn't that often, but there are some nights where I just like I kind of want to do it just to do it, just yeah, to yeah. like feel what it's like to be at a <laughs> bar and watch a bunch <laughs> of drunk people. Like, sometimes it's kind of fun, but it. it it's anxiety provoking to just stand there yeah. and not be drinking anything yeah, it can be pain. like just watching other people get fucked up just makes you want to get fucked up
1: but i get my i'll have my nights where i'm like the craziest sober guy there and the fun thing is is i can remember it the next day
0: i had a friend in college that was like that he had some things happen to him before college where he just chose not to drink at all and so to compensate for it, he would just do crazy shit sober. People, people thought that he was on drugs every single time yeah. we went out. But he'd be like dancing on tables and shit, like yelling <laughs> at people. like yeah. Sometimes instigating fights as just this sober dude walking around because he thought it was funny to it fuck with funny. people. <laughs> and so it's, prob- it's probably fun to take on that personality and realize that you can do it yeah. sober and, be- and being talkative
1: sober because it's so easy to do it when you're well, drunk. See- And that's the thing, like you asked before, like, what do I have to change? And that's it. That's exactly it. I have to change my perspective on everything. I can't expect people around me to change. They are who they are. I just have to know my limits. I have to know, like, I have to follow my instinct. Like the moment I start getting uncomfortable, I need to leave. The moment I have anxiety, I have to go because if I stay there, I know what happens. I I end up having a drink and within a week, I'm going to have a needle in my arm. It's just the way I operate. I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. It's just what I do. I
0: understand that. How did Jason, the kid, grow up? What was it like to <laughs> paint me a picture? Paint <laughs> me a portrait of, of Jason, the kid's lifestyle. Uh, what, was, what was it like to be you as a kid? <laughs> wow,
1: that's uncomfortable. Am I making you uncomfortable? That's you my are, goal. yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, I came from an incredibly abusive household. Uh, my earliest memory was my father beating the shit out of my mother. Drugs and alcohol were accepted in my house as long as you shared with mom and dad.
0: So, so know, the, they were scary. actively participating in drugs, yeah, w- with you. And were you an only child? Or no, six, I had uh,
1: I have five brothers and sisters.
0: That I, I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. I, I can imagine that led to some of the things you're talking
1: about later in life. Being Absolutely. in that environment, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's I always kind of tell a no people it's funny, like. It's it is a no brainer yeah. that I end up a junkie, but my parents were always like, "Oh my god, how the hell could you do that?" And it's like I don't know. I found a pile yeah, of coke like, at thirteen. Yeah, like, that's the first I, time I tried <laughs> cocaine. Like, yeah, like I, I did your drugs. Yeah. Why, why are you asking me <laughs> how I became a drug addict? <laughs> I mean, fuck, I smoked angel dust with my father. That's intense. That was awesome. What, really? What was. is angel dust like? Uh, you feel like a god. I, I don't is know how to PCP? explain it. Yeah, angel
0: dust is PCP. Yeah. I remember it in textbooks. There was this crazy picture of a guy running from the cops and and the description so that makes you feel like Superman. So, yeah. So people that get shot on PCP I yeah, put like an extra two rounds in them so they go down. Yeah, yeah. Dude, getting involved like that at such a young age too when your brain is developing and it's normalized in your household. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that can lead to it's hard to not go off the rails at that point. I, I think there's a lot of judgment for people that do drugs and there's not always an active, an active path to understanding. Like no one ever tries to or, or people rarely try to understand the perspective yeah. of a drug addict unless it's like some documentary on Netflix or <laughs> or people. I feel like there's a lot of just surface level judgment where if someone is either a drug addict at the time or has been at that point in their life, then they're kind of discounted from society. In, like, this nonverbal, like, awkward, tense yeah. way. It's like, oh, that dude's like, he's the drug addict or whatever. Like, don't talk to that dude. Or like, he's weird. But no one ever actually tries to dig into the deeper level of, like, what made that person wanna do drugs. Like, that's the most interesting part well, of it when, to me. When I was active, you wouldn't have
1: wanted to come near me. But now, yeah, I, it was, I, I had a rough upbringing. So I'm sure that definitely, I mean, it definitely contributed to it. Like, my, my oh, I just found out some really neat shit about my, my life. Fucking awesome. I reconnected okay. <laughs> with my sister after 20 years. Really? That's my, beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. My stepfather adopted me. and my entire life I suspected that he was my father and I've now found out after reconnecting with her, he was actually my father. He was your biological father. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy that they were telling me was my biological father was horribly fucking abusive in every way. He was a, he was a, he was a real mean drunk, that's all I'll say. I that I mean that definitely contributed to it, like abandonment issues and mm. I don't know. Life was just hard. I'm not mad at the anybody anymore. Like they had, they they played the cards they were dealt. They did the best they could, I guess.
0: I don't know. I mean, that says a lot about you to have that mentality. I kind of have to. I've been thinking about that recently with my own parents. My dad never beat the shit out of me or did drugs or anything like that. There were some conversations that I remember early on, or like these these tense things. Like there there was a, always a very tense environment in my household that I could never put my finger on. Yeah, and I think my dad had a lot to do with that when I was younger, and he's he's changed over the years. And there there were a lot of uncomfortable moments in the household, uncomfortable conversations, like fights that didn't get to the physical point. And I, I was I would hold on to anger for months especially when I was younger, like 14, 15, I would let a conversation with my dad tighten me up for like two months. Like I would think about that all the fucking time. Like every time I saw him, I'd be like, fuck you. Like you're a piece of shit. (laughs) And recently I've been trying to take that perspective where everyone has their conditioning. My dad had a certain conditioning when he was younger. He grew up a certain way. He has his own biology, genetics, and had his own experiences. And I'm, positive that he's doing the absolute best he could with what he had right and if you are able to take that perspective with all the shit that happened to you there's no
1: reason why i shouldn't be able to do that well i mean resentments don't hurt anybody but me yeah i i don't want i sure resentment fucks you up it does and and i got my own i got issues all the time i don't i don't want to have more you know what i mean like i i struggle with my own shit so i'm gonna let theirs go i just move forward let's
0: move forward into some some weird tattoos that i was i was perusing i think it was ink mag they had an interview where you were explaining some of the weirdest tattoos you ever you've ever given <laughs> yeah. or received is it true that you tattooed a guy's butthole and put flames on it that Was a chick yeah a chick, a chick. You tattooed, tattooed a chick's butt mm. and put flames coming out of it yes what I also was, did, did her vagina.
1: Oh, up. like the whole thing was yeah. like coming up the, the what is the it called? Sides. The gooch
0: flap part?
1: Well, like, it literally, she was a redhead. So I used to call her fire crotch. So it literally came up the front and the back.
0: How does a conversation like that go between the artist and the person getting the <laughs> tattoo? Because I'm sure out of respect for the person, you have to reserve judgment. But at the same time, I'm sure your goal is to give that person exactly what they want. Even if in your head you're just thinking, "What the
1: fuck is this girl <laughs> thinking?" Uh, no, I thought she was hot, so I wanted to see her naked. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that works too. You convinced her to get it. Yeah, that was my idea. <laughs> really? Yeah. The the front was the back was hers. That's a, her that's, boyfriend got really pissed.
0: That's that's a whole another a whole another dynamic yeah. on the side that I guess you have to deal with. <laughs> So you also tattooed a guy's cock from yeah. tip to balls in a snake-like yeah. pattern? I did. Did he get hard while you were tattooing
1: him? That no, was the first no, thing. that's... Everybody asked that. No, no, you can't. You got to be flaccid. I
0: would imagine that. Was that was interesting
1: though because I literally... I had like the way you got to hold it. Like I... So like... You're I'm, I'm, the guy I'm, a, a I,
0: lot of I, game right now. You're using like both hands. <laughs> <laughs> like the way I had to hold it. I was like, so like over you my You have it wrapped over
1: your hand and yeah. I'm like looking at him like just looking up at him, waiting for him to be like, no, I don't really want to do this. And it felt like an eternity that I was sitting there holding it. And he didn't say anything. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to hurt him. Went to town. Did, do you take
0: something to not get hard? Before, I feel like all the vibrations and they're, they're, the contact. Like, I get hard sitting on the bus sometimes. So give me too, like,
1: but I mean, the, the needle going that's, in. That's true. I think if that, there's a needle in my dick, it would make a huge difference. You also got a tattoo of your ex's name. I didn't get a tattoo. I was a dumbass and did it. Oh, you did it. To yourself. I did it to myself.
0: I feel like that's how the, the hell n- do you even know that? You said it on the interview. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We do some uh, some major stalking to prepare. I feel like that's the number one faux pas, though. For it is. you, for never few, do like that. you never get uh, the person what what overcame you with the the urge to get the ex's <sighs> name.
1: I mean, at the time, she wasn't the ex. No, I hope. She, well, she was on her <laughs> way. Yeah. Um, so. This this was a girl that I got with that everybody from the start told me like get away from her she's a, a fucking psychic vampire she's just gonna eat your soul. And that I sounds played, hot. Yeah, it was sexy. It's one of the important start things. Uh, and then I played Captain Save and got literally she got her meat hooks in me and just bled me dry. And I I don't know. that was insane. I have no idea.
0: So you thought the tattoo would, would kind, of save,
1: yeah. kind of fix her, yeah? Save the relationship. I married her because I thought it would fix it. It didn't.
0: Which number? She was, uh, three. Was, uh, she was three out of four. Yeah. And so you'd save the, the second one. So her, you'd, you'd get away from, like she's done. The third? The third one. She's number three. So the second one, if you had to relive one, it would be the second marriage. Yeah. So her, she was, she was too much. She was She, she has to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to get into the painting a little bit. Mm. And there's another quote on your site that says painting was the missing key. That would free my creativity. Yeah. How did painting unlock that extra level of
1: creativity for you, that next level? Well, I I love tattooing and tattooing essentially saved my life, but you're always creating for other people. There's never a point that you're actually creating for you. With painting, I get to do what I want, what's in my head. I can speak my truth. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, I don't fucking care. I'm doing it for me. So the fact that, that, I now have the ability to sit down behind the canvas for 10 hours at a time. And literally my brain silences every that's the only time my brain stops is when I have a paintbrush in my hand and I'm, I'm at a canvas. When you're tattooing,
0: does it feel like that?
1: No. Or Brain's always going. Brain's going. Yeah. So it sounds like a meditative state. Yeah. Literally. I'll like, like tonight when I'm, when I'm done here, I'll go home, I'll sit behind the canvas and I'll go till the sun comes up and get a couple hours sleep and then come in.
0: That is insane. I love it well getting a couple hours sleep I'm I'm a bitch so I need my like seven eight <laughs> hours to feel good I don't, I don't go I don't go into a podcast without my eight hours you know <laughs> such a diva that meditative state I feel like podcasting gets me into that okay. a little bit which is why I think I like it so much being in the moment talking to people I feel yeah. like it also makes me more in the moment when I'm not podcasting That's when I'm just going to the bar or talking to friends or something I feel like podcasting gives me the tools to actively engage people in conversation because I, I was such a fucking terrible listener before. Right. And so I feel like I'm I'm at least a little bit better right now, but 10 hours is a long time to be in that state. I, I meditate for 10 down. minutes in the morning. And so that's like my alone quiet time before I check my phone, before I flip off airplane mode, I, I sit down with my legs crossed in front of the window in my apartment. And I just turn on a, a guided meditation for 10 minutes. And even during then, I'm still going in and out. Like I have all these fucking thoughts running through my head. So it's more like these pockets of meditative states. But it's never... It, I can never get into like a full, full span. Like I've, I've heard people talk about that creative
1: flow. It's amazing. Like literally, I, I, the, only t- the only way I know what time it is, there's two points that I know what time it is or have an idea of the time. My studio... Literally out the window, I'm looking at the Manhattan skyline. 2 a.m. they shut off the Empire State Building. So I know it's 2 a.m. when I see that go off. I don't have any clue what time it is again until I see the sun start starting to come up. And then I'm like, all right, it's five. So I probably got about another 30 minutes before I need to get some sleep.
0: If you were in Iceland, you would just paint for 24 hours a day because right now the sun doesn't go down. I just (laughs) just got back and I didn't know before I went. Luckily, I bought a what's called one of those eye masks, the Uh blackout mask. But it doesn't go down there at all over the summer. Really? Yeah, the sun go, it gets low a little bit, but it's always in the sky. So you're you're mm-hmm. basically drinking on a rooftop at 4 a.m. and the, the sun's out. It's the weirdest feeling ever. So if that was your dictation of time, if you were in Iceland, I'd be you, screwed. You, <laughs> if someone would come be digging a body out of the. It's funny because I forgot what time it was. Everybody, every
1: every female that I'm with tells me I'm crazy. That would really make me crazy because I'd have that. We have a lot sleep. in common
0: then. The female judgment of craziness. <laughs> Alternative drive. I was reading that this is the catalyst for the satire yes. in your art. Can you walk me through how that piece came to be? Also describe it too for the, for the people. We're going to have screenshots in
1: the podcast as well on the video. So it's just, it's just listening to everything that Trump is saying. And, or was saying at the time hmm. and he was talking about the wall and it was the whole Russian collusion thing and like them in interfering and him saying no and there, I can't remember exactly what the conversation was but there was something where he was talking about going on a Sunday drive or something so I put him in his his uh Sunday's best Dress <laughs> driving a Russian pedal car and then I have the On the, the way wall. to the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have the wall behind it with uh we're like in the process of building it, but then like all the transgender and, and like just all the gender symbols on there mm. and just statements from like the youth on there. And then uh I've got the moniker from Auschwitz that that of work will st- set you free. So
0: what made you nervous about that one? Because at your first gallery, you didn't show that. No, right? I didn't. But you had all these other controversial paintings too. So
1: what was it about that one that you were afraid to show? I did uh, um, a show where I showed the Mother Teresa and then some...
0: Yeah, oh, that one's <laughs> fucked up. <too>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this is what made me not show it. A gentleman, another painter asked me who if I voted. and I told him no. And because I didn't vote he blamed me for what happened and I'm like dude you're out of your mind like vote sorry I, I might piss people off with this but voting is a waste of time your vote means absolutely nothing when it comes to the presidential election it means nothing at all it's just a suggestion the electoral college already has determined who's going to win and the proof in that is hillary had 3 million of the popular vote and still lost so even if 6 million people voted for her she wasn't winning they didn't want her yeah. in office so why am I going to waste my time voting? I'm not going to stand in line for for no fucking reason. There's some shady shit that goes on on both sides too with
0: with double votes, with the stuff. Yeah. and stuff. And you know, sometimes people can go from ballot to ballot and vote multiple times. So you, it almost disincentivizes you to cast a ballot because you're like, well, what if someone just voted four times the other way?
1: Exactly. Or, or, or things like that. But yeah, there's a lot of shady stuff that, that goes on in the voting system. I'm a firm believer that... that they have him in place because they want him in place. He's doing, he's serving a purpose for them. That's, it's just, that's it. It's all money. If you watch the news, like you got one side that absolutely hates, absolutely hates someone that doesn't love, that doesn't, but none of the news people hate him because it's, it's ratings. Yeah. So I, I just think our government's really fucked up and kind of a joke, so I won't vote. But so a guy got really pissed at me. So then I was like, I don't want to put anything Trump out because I don't want to get yelled at. But you know who owns that?
0: Yes. Uh, Tommy wait, Lee. Tommy Lee and Molly yeah. Crew.
1: <laughs> How the fuck did that happen? A buddy of mine is, uh, is, is is his jewelry maker. So I was tattooing him. I went downstairs to smoke and he took a picture of it and sent it to him and had the whole deal worked out by the time I got back upstairs. So you were
0: tattooing Tommy Lee's friend? Yeah. And so now that's hanging in his house. Yes. You have a piece of artwork hanging in Tommy Lee's house. Pretty fucking cool. That's fucking sick. <laughs> that would be my opening line to... Anyone I talk to at the bar. like, by the way, Tommy Lee masturbates my artwork in his house every single morning. He just sits on the chair and fucking comes and starts his day. You know what sucks though? He sent a thank you, but he won't post a picture of it. He won't post a picture of it. No, I don't know if it'll do anything, but maybe we can try to slide in and and send a message. I don't know who his PR person is, but that would be really cool, fucking Tommy do. Lee, if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> post, post a, a picture of a goddamn dude. painting dude like he spent so much how many hours did you spend
1: on that, that was painting? Like 55 is that normal yeah for a painting average. about 55 hours yeah the one i did for post malone was about 80 hours 80 hours yeah so that's eight studio
0: sessions all nighters yep. <laughs> yeah i got it done in a little over a week so how did the the first gallery showing come together because you said the first gallery you didn't have the the Trump, it was a solo art exhibition that yeah. you didn't have the Trump piece in. How how did you link up with the gallery to to show it in the public
1: space? I'm I'm shameless, so I just like I'll email galleries all the time and send them my work and see if they want to show me. And then one of one of them just happened to jump on it. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Do you get nervous looking at other people looking at your art? Uh, yeah. Because I'm putting myself out there completely. Like that's, even though like, it's just me, it's, it's, it's who I am raw. You know what I mean? Like, even if I'm doing a caricature of somebody that's got my soul in it, not them. So. Yeah.
0: I don't imagine there are more things that there, I don't imagine there are things that get more vulnerable than having all of your artwork just on display for random
1: people that want to walk in and see it and just judge it. But at the same time... I, I, but it's I, probably cool to get it out there. It's great. And I, I mean, I, I hate to use the word I'm about to use, but I think I'm, I'm mild. I think all artists are mildly narcissistic. Like, I'm terrified. You have to be. Yeah, I'm terrified I'm of people judging I me. But at, at the same time, I want to everybody my... to love me and love what yeah. I do.
0: You, ha- you have to be somewhat of a narcissist for to create art because it is a piece of you. Yeah. People that listen to my podcast, if they listen to a whole episode, that's fucking like 75 minutes of my voice uh-huh. talking. I would be lying to myself if I didn't say that in some sick way. I'm like, yeah, you fucking listen to that. Yeah, episode. you love like, it. You, yeah. <laughs> you listen to that shit. You eat it up. And I, and, I, and I love doing it a deeper level. That's also a motivation, too, because you want to be known for what you're doing. You yeah. want people to you know, recognize your voice or your artwork or whatever creative lane that may be. And, and so if you're if you're not a narcissist, then you probably don't have an edge on the the people who are. Exactly. Probably fade out more quickly. I don't want to do that. I I have a a plan and I'm going to get it. I came across a video of you tattooing your son. Mm. <laughs> How did that come together? What was the story behind that? Because it seemed like a very monumental moment. It, it was just like a 1 minute video, but yeah. when I searched you to do research That was
1: like the second thing that popped up on YouTube. So through the course of of my early addiction, I had a kid and I was in his life for the first two years physically, no other way. I was was a shell of a human being. Uh, So his mother did the right thing and took him from me. And then I ended up in Florida. And then uh, what was supposed to be three months ended up becoming almost 20 years. And then, uh, fuck. That's a tough one. Uh, so then the day he turned 18, like I literally hadn't talked to him for 16 years. The day he turned 18, I sent him a message on uh, Facebook and told him, you know, hey, I was a piece of shit. Your mom did the right thing. I'm really sorry, but I'm here to try to make it up for to you if you can, if you want to, uh, you know, if not, then I understand. But, you know, and he I, I was absolutely shocked that he messaged me back the next day. And then him and I met up, and we went for lunch. And those I, millennials, they're they're on that shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. But I met up with them, and I literally expected to get punched in the face, and I was going to let him get one or two in, but before he just started knocking him out. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, no, we hugged, and it was like he's probably my best friend now. You know, he live he works here. He, uh, he was living with me for a long time. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's cool. So that tattoo was like
0: uh, almost a symbol of reconnection, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. It was a skull with a crown. crown. on top. Yeah, and some roses. And you, and you said that you added the crown in the
1: video because he's a king. Yeah, he is. He's my king. I love that kid. Yeah. You know what was great? So his entire life, his mom told him what a fuck up I was and that I didn't love him and this and that. And I, for the first few months of, of our relationship, I took it and let him have his version of it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. What does matter is his mom actually called me and was like, "I never thought I'd make this phone call, but I need your help because he's fucking up and I don't know what to do." So now he's up here. He's successful. They're flying him all around to do conventions, like to work the uh, wow. the supply company to do conventions, like. And I just keep saying to her every time I talk, "The fuck up, fix them." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the fuck up, fix
0: them. It sounds like an Instagram bio. Yeah. <laughs> So what has tattooing people for hundreds and thousands of hours taught you about people? Because there's so much words and, and body language and interaction. Is, is there anything, any two or three things about the human existence that you think you understand better now because you have seen so many people in that state of, of wanting to get tattooed and having to deal with so many
1: different personalities? People as a whole are generally fucked. They're just fucked up. They, with the moment they get in my chair, I hear shit that I should just, just shouldn't hear. Like I become a therapist instantly. So people are just fucked and they're very impulsive. People make really stupid decisions when it comes to tattoos every single day. Like it's, it's, it's a common thing now. I don't know why the hell it's happening, but like people start with their hands and work up, like for sleeves. Yeah. They start with their hands. They don't understand that that destroys any chance they have for like, like 18-year-olds, they think they know what they're going to do. They have no idea. I, mean, I don't care what they're going to school for. Like you make plans, God laughs. Something else is going to happen yeah. in your life.
0: That's so. weird. I, I just saw an interview with another artist, Black Bear, that I'm a, a big fan of. He's like an R&B rap type dude, like very smooth voice. He actually just played a concert at Pier 17. I went to go see, but I, I was looking at a, a video where he was explaining his tattoos and he said that at least, at least in his experience, the tattoo artist that he works with said that, like, don't get tattoos on your hands or your face unless the rest of your body is covered. Yeah, you like, earn that like shit. Like, if you start with that, don't, like, why? Like, why are you doing that? That makes no sense. Yeah. That makes no sense at all. So what are the biggest things that you've learned about yourself being a tattoo artist? Are you fucked as much as the people or are
1: you a little less fucked? No, I'm, I'm probably more fucked. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've learned I'm patient. I'm, I'm very patient because of what I do for a living. Like, I'm, I'm not a people person. I don't like people at all. Like, literally, I like to go home and just sit in silence. It's just, it's fun for me. But here I have to interact with people. It's just what I do mm-hmm. for a living. So I have to put on a show. But people drive me nuts. I would
0: imagine if part of your job is also being a therapist. Yeah. Having to listen to all those problems.
1: Like, you probably just want them to shut the fuck up. Oh and just... I'm, I'm also general manager of this place. So I have to deal with other artists and we're all prima donnas. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I just want to grab their heads and smash it on a table. But I can't. I have to play nice. I'm sure it helps though in the long run, building relationships with people because you want repeat customers Absolutely, too. And yeah. people have a good experience and they go back. If you're a good tattoo artist, the person that's in your chair thinks that you're best friends when they walk out the door. You won't remember their name or their face. You'll remember the tattoo they, that you did on them, but they, they think you're your their best friend.
0: Do you ever feel a responsibility to
1: talk someone out of a tattoo? Oh, all the time. Again, people are really impulsive and make stupid choices when it comes to tattoos.
0: So you'll step in and say, like, maybe you should think about this for yeah. a day, like sleep on this or yeah. don't just... Like, don't
1: think about it. what you're going to do with the rest of your yeah. life. Like, Even if it's going to make you less money, like you should... Yeah, Not, I, don't, I don't care about the money. I, you know, I made the mistake very young in my career of tattooing somebody's throat that it uh, should have never done it. And I got yelled at by people that, that I have on or had on a pedestal at the time. And uh, it taught me, like, I have the responsibility to protect people from themselves.
0: What do you think about today's PC culture? Because it makes it really hard to make jokes and talk about some of the shit that we're talking about without people just like completely disregarding it and
1: here's where the interview goes down i think it's fucking ridiculous grow up bunch of fucking babies i couldn't agree more it's it's absolutely insane. Or, or, or i mean listen i'm apolitical i don't give a shit either way but it's like the other side is they're very fascist at the moment like if i don't agree with what or if you don't agree with what i'm saying then then you're a piece of shit like a joke is a joke. I have the right to say what I want. If it offends you, then sorry, deal with it, girl. You know, like I don't know. I think yeah. the, I think the millennial generations are a bunch of pussies. Well, I'm part of that. I'm sorry, generation. And I can I, t- I, can t- say, I say it that here are, all the time. I Do say I say
0: not? I can say that we are a bunch of pussies. It's fucking ridiculous. But I think that. So so I am. I'm very pro free speech. Yeah, as long as you're not breaking the law, which is you're not inciting violence. Directly no, God, at someone, no, 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 no. no. And like you're making not, a joke. You know, yeah. So, like, you can say hateful things to someone, and if you're not directly inciting violence on them, then that's their responsibility how to react. And then you also have to take the consequences of your speech being out there in the public sphere. Exactly. If you're gonna so walk it's a, up, it's t- it
1: goes two ways. If you're if you're gonna be walking around the New York New York streets throwing the N word, okay, you have the right to do that. But the guy that you say it to has the right to knock your teeth down your throat, in my opinion, too.
0: The first thing that comes to mind is the, the Kevin Hart thing where they, where they dug up tweets that they said were homophobic or I'm blanking on the actual tweets, but let's just go with homophobic. And it seems so toxic that we don't, at least right now, we don't live in a culture that believes in change and rehabilitation and, and people are not the same person that they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I don't even even have anything wrong with the joke that Kevin Hart said. For the sake of comedy, if you think it's funny, if it didn't say it, if people get uncomfortable, then that's part of being a comic. That's part of the creative process. You learn back and forth from your audience. And a lot of jokes make people uncomfortable. And that's just the way that it is. But you have corporations now that are digging up tweets 10, 20 years ago. Someone... It could be a 40-year-old dude that tweeted something when he was, you know, 25 and they're f- firing him because he f-
1: refuses to apologize for it's it. It's insane. And he shouldn't apologize for it if that's what he felt at the moment. So what? People, it's, re, it's retarded. I got into a, a, an argument. Not even, they argued. I did uh, with somebody that was trying to explain to me what um, pan, pansexual, I think it was. My generation, you had three. You had straight, gay, bi. Mm-hmm. Now there's so many pronouns that nobody knows what to use. And it's like, I don't disagree with it. Like I my sister is gay. I support it. I think it's fucking amazing. I love Mm. transgender people. I love hanging out with them. They're fucking great. But like, I don't understand the whole new pronoun thing. Like people want to be addressed as they like, I, okay, I don't get it. And if I make the mistake, don't get mad at me for it. But somebody got like fucking livid with me and told me that I was ignorant because I didn't understand that. And it's like, you got to understand I come from a different... What were they mad about? You called them the wrong pronoun? pronoun, Yeah. And they were... They they were were fucking livid. Yeah. Like I was so offensive. And I literally, I was told I was attacking them. I'm like, are you fucking insane? I'm not attacking you. I'm having a conversation. Like that's, that's the way the general, like it is right now. And it's, being PC. it's fucking retarded. It's too much.
0: What gives me a peace of mind though, is that I think it's a very loud minority of people that, are able to influence the culture at large. And what I mean by that is that you can have people gang up on Twitter, which 80% of people that are on Twitter don't even tweet. So most people are just scrolling, 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 scrolling. That's me. And you are more likely to comment if you are being negative. So the 20% of people that do tweet, they are mostly around my age. They're mostly of like certain... I think I, I'll just say they're they're my age. I don't really know what, what the political affiliations are of most people that are on Twitter. The one like the twenty percent, but the point is that you have a very small number of people that are causing uprisings and changes in corporations because thirty or forty people gang up and tweet and say this is racist, this is homophobic, this right. you, this person needs to be canceled, like a cancel culture, and these companies actually listen and. it's, it's alarming that they're having that effect. It makes me not afraid of saying some of the things I do now. And I I would never say anything to, you know, make someone suffer or, or hateful. I I try to check myself. And if I'm trying to be funny, I'll say something like, I know sometimes I know I'm going to offend people and, but I'm not going to apologize for it. But you know, 20 years from now or 10 years from now, five years from now, when someone, brings up an audio recording of me if I'm working for another company and they say, well, this guy said this on his podcast. Are you really going to keep that guy as the CFO of this company? Right. That's, that's what's scary because you have the, the louder minority of people that are basically controlling the culture. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the Nazis of today. It's fucking scary. Yeah. So
1: to go back to the art, what? <laughs> Smooth transitions here. Smooth transitions. It was lovely. Here. Can you? I'm telling you, people have stopped listening at this point.
0: Oh yeah, they're done. <laughs> I don't know. we I I'd like to give our listeners faith. I think we do have some <laughs> some dedicated listeners that want to understand. Th- that's also why I like talking to all different types of people, all different jobs, skin colors, nationalities, and ethnicities. Sexes, whatever, because I, my number one goal is to just understand how people think, regardless if I agree or disagree with them. Yeah. So there are people that I talk to that I don't agree with on everything, but I at least want to understand their perspective. Like, I want to know what, like, how did you get to this point? Like, what we were talking about before, what, how, what was your childhood like? What were the decisions that you made leading up to that? Right. And I feel like we have this that also goes along with the PC culture, this culture of, not having conversations with people. And if you do, that means you agree with them. So if I have someone that does something horrible on my podcast, then that means that I'm okay with what everything that they've done in their past and I'm kind of just like giving one huge check mark like yeah like I agree with everything this person has said and (laughs) ever will said right it happens with the bigger podcasters too like Joe Rogan he talks about that shit all the time where he has guys on that are controversial and people are like how could you fucking have this dude on like you're giving him a platform for hate and it's like no like I I think he's interesting like I'll always follow my curiosity above anything else I, I think that's what drives good conversation. If you're not curious, then why the fuck are you even talking to that person? If you're not interested in that person, I'll really transition. I (laughs) I can talk about this shit all day. What do you hope that people think or feel when they see
1: a piece of artwork that you've done? Painting or tattoo? Both, if they're different. With tattoos, I want them to look at them and think they're fucking amazing and come in and spend their money with me. Fuck Yeah. With art, spend that while. With art, I just want to make people think. Like, as an as a painter, as an artist, my job is to make you think. Whether it's good, bad, and different. If you're thinking, I've done my job.
0: That's what I think is so cool about wanting to make people uncomfortable with your artwork, because then it forces you to think like, why am I uncomfortable? Yeah. And you have to either address something about the art, or like your lack of knowledge on something, or address something about yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, and it goes both ways.
1: I'm sure a lot of times it's both. Well, that's like the the whole thing. Like you're talking about it, uh, the PC culture. And it's like, I'm not one of those Facebook people. I won't go put my opinion on Facebook. Mm. It's just retarded to me. I don't air my dirty laundry out like that.
0: You should do Twitter if you want to put your thoughts out there. Oh, is that where you do it? Yeah, Twitter. So Facebook is more news now, I would say. It's more like, it kind of looks like just like an Apple news feed. At least the people... (laughs) That I'm friends with <laughs> and not as many people are posting statuses anymore. So okay. back in the day, it used to be like, Zach is feeling like happy. Yes, yes. And it used to be like Twitter, but now it's more articles. But Twitter is more the place to get out the, the shorter thoughts. So uh-huh. If you're ever feeling
1: in the mood. All right. So tweet. <laughs> tweet. Got it. All right. <laughs> so someone can fire you <laughs> 10 years from now. <laughs> but I, I use my art to do that. I speak my truth through art. So, If
0: you could solve one mystery of this universe, what would it be? Oh, fuck. You can take your time. All right. I'll sip some Soho
1: Ink water. Go ahead. It's good. It's fresh. Uh, One mystery. That is fresh. That's hard. There's so many things I want to know. I can give you examples of what other people have said. Okay.
0: Maybe that'll spark something. One that sticks out is human consciousness. How does this cluster of cells... As a fetus, like what is the moment where like all of a sudden the human experience starts? Like wow, wh- like when do you start experiencing things basically like noticing shit? Like you go from just being a clump of stuff <laughs> to being a human, <laughs> which is crazy like, yeah. that we
1: still haven't figured that out yet, but it's cool to think about. That's a good one. That's deep as fuck. I wasn't going there. I was thinking like, where's Amelia Earhart? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Maybe she's listening to this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say aliens, but I know they exist. I'm a firm believer in that. So uh, oh, no, I'm going go, go to go with Amelia. Yeah. You'd be arrogant if, as fuck. If you to think define they weren't
0: aliens is just anyone else besides humans,
1: yeah. you'd be an idiot to not think that there are other things, beings in this universe. Well, life isn't really that much of a miracle. I mean, it'll pop up anywhere it can. Like in the bottom of the ocean, there's volcanoes that are. I forget what they're called, but the spouts that the volcano will comes out of. And like, there's fucking organisms that live in that shit. It's not a miracle. So yeah, I'm a firm believer there's, there's life elsewhere.
0: So aliens is not the mystery. Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. You, you want to know where Amelia Earhart is? Yeah. I'll check our podcast map to see if there's any <laughs> listeners over the Bermuda Triangle. Maybe she's somehow Hanging out with survived them. and she has a radio signal. All right. If you could tattoo anyone on the planet, in any setting, so it could be on a private jet, it could be in the Taj Mahal, like literally any fucking place you want, who would you pick and where would you do it? Dead or alive. Anyone? Dead or alive? Abe Lincoln. Where would you do it? In his log cabin? Ooh. No, I would do it you in the go White House. back in time. <laughs> I would do it in the
1: White House that he had his boyfriend at in the room. That's one of the dark uh, secrets yeah. of Abe Lincoln. Yeah. I have to look into that more. He slept with his top general. His name was Speedwell. They, mm. they shared a bed. There's nothing that actually says that he was gay, but they shared a bed for three years. I mean, that says a lot to me. I think it's cool as fuck. That is cool. He's, is. he's a pioneer. Yeah. It's fucking great. So I would definitely tattoo him in that room.
0: So he's he's the first gay president, possibly. Yeah. Unless someone was before him. He's the, the first one, one there's any writing on. Yeah. What do you think you'll regret doing too much or too little of... 10 years from now? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I will probably regret not living enough. What do you mean by not living? My life consists of work and painting and I don't really go out and experience much. So maybe that. You should do some more traveling if you can fit it in. Go to Iceland. But don't (laughs) paint. Paint for one day.
0: Seriously, I feel like traveling recharges you and it kind of just,
1: it shifts your perspective. I've been uh, I've been invited to go to Italy and uh, Japan this year. So I think I might go, do that. Go, go. Those would be two sick places yeah, to go. I've never been to Italy and I'm all about architecture and history. So that would be so fucking dope. I went
0: by myself to Iceland. So I wanted to do it to kind of force myself to just go out there, talk to people or else I'd be miserable. So yeah. I knew going into it, I was like, I have to open my fucking mouth or this trip's going to suck. And I, I went to Park City, earlier this year by myself and I knew I wanted to leave the country and do it. But you just hear so many stories. You have so many random drinking buddies get you meet up. Like I had plans during the day. Basically I was going out and doing day trips and nature and went to go snowmobile on glaciers and shit. That's it was fucking awesome. awesome. And then at night I kind of just walk around and play it by ear. And I, you just meet people. As long as you open your mouth, people are so nice I've, I've, and Iceland it's Probably one of the nicest places <laughs> in the world, so that has a lot to do with
1: it, too. Yeah, but yeah, you should definitely definitely go to Italy, go to Japan. That's I'm pretty sick. sure I'm an action figure in Japan. I was at the Grand Canyon once, and there was a bunch of uh Asian people, and I jumped in and started taking pictures while I was flexing.
0: So now so you're an action I'm figure. I'm pretty figure sure Japan. they made me an action figure. Check it out, you should, you should reap the royalties. What if what if you don't have uh millions of dollars of royalties that you right? Could have right now? Just be awesome. like you just see
1: Jason Ackerman. Fucking action figures. Here's all where over I the sound place. disgusting too, but I know they have the <laughs> the, um, the vending machines with the girls' underwear. I have to see it. Oh, do they really? I have to see it. I don't want to so get it by panties with yeah, the Snickers. Dirty panties. Like, <laughs> I want to see it. I gotta see if that actually exists. So wait, not clean underwear. No, they're,
0: they're dirty. So dirty, like used underwear. Yeah. That's fucking disgusting. I need to go to Japan. <laughs> so That's to, true. to end off. If you had to give a TED talk on anything besides your job and art, the things that you do most often, tattooing and art, if you could give a TED talk on any other topic, what would it be on?
1: The hell is a TED talk?
0: A TED talk is this guy or girl gets up on a stage and talks to people for 10 to 15 minutes and sometimes has a PowerPoint presentation. And it's like a summit, it's like a summit event of people trying to spread knowledge on. A topic that they're extremely passionate about. Okay. And what would I give a TED Talk about? Yeah, what would you give a TED Talk on? People have done everything. I just listened to one that's like sleep is your superpower and all all these crazy things about how you'll fuck your life if you don't sleep enough. Just putting that out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) What would I give a TED Talk about? Uh, You don't even have to be knowledgeable on it. Probably forgiving yourself. People I like that. People beat themselves with the the fuck you stick all the time need to just <laughs> put it down and let it go. We'd probably all be a little happier. That's my TED Talk. I think that TED Talk would bring a lot more happiness into this world. Yeah.
0: I hope it happens. Me too. I hope Amelia Earhart listens to this podcast. <laughs> Was that retarded? She, I hope she comes to the TED Talk <laughs> and I hope you can,
1: can speak to her. Aren't you curious of where she is? Not really. Oh. <laughs> i mean it's
0: never it crossed my mind once maybe in seventh grade when i was learning about the textbook version of what happened i'm sure that actual ride was fucking crazy be amazing. Uh, like just being on that plane and what happened when it went down if she survived like now i
1: want to know see it. i'm a huge conspiracy guy i love that kind of shit so like i remember growing up watching history's mysteries that was uh narrated by leonard nimoy and uh that was one of the, the ones that, I, that stuck in my head. And I've always wondered what happened to her. What
0: happened to Amelia Earhart? Yeah. I'm we'll will be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen to an hour and 42 minutes before you get to it. <laughs> but I, I want to thank you, Jason, for oh, you. taking the fun. time to sit down with us. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. And yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm grateful that you had us by the, the beautiful studio, which people will see. And then you go to the website, watch Thank the video, you. and we'll link everything to the podcast so we can get you some more guap, some people coming Sweet. in here. We try to convert people on the podcast. Buy some art. Buy, yeah, buy some shit, get tattooed. Yeah. Buy we're from out. living artists. The dead people are dead. They
1: don't need yeah, the money. Yeah, they're not, re- their
0: family's getting the money. Yeah, we need the money. Exactly. Buy from living artists. <laughs> the, the moral of the story.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, we're out. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Jason Ackerman. You can check out his tattoo artistry as well as his paintings at jasonackermandesigns.com or by visiting the links in the description of this podcast. He's located in NYC, so if you need a dope tattoo, go ahead and hit Jason up. He's got your back. And if you haven't already, please help us by leaving a five-star rating on iTunes as well as comment, subscribe, and even tell a friend. We are a completely independent platform and we rely on you, the listener, to help spread the word. Thank you for helping us do what we love to do. Until next time.